welcome to the PFRS podcast. I'm your host, Eric Dahl, here with Matthew Konar. Hey, he y'all. A, he is an architect on the East Coast, the least coast. <laughs> just kidding, man. Just kidding. We're weightlifting teammates, uh, and he has a really cool story and um, a lot of history and a lot of uh, life lessons. So, Tell us, tell us yeah. a little bit about yourself, Matthew. Where are you at? What, where are you from? What's your profession? Uh, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. So, yeah, first of all, totally we're on the same team. Good old Attitude Nation with John North. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- I, I hear there is a little West Coast, East Coast thing going on. Uh, I saw at the last competition, you guys on the West Coast have your own little chats and stuff. So oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys you guys are plotting some stuff against us East Coast people. I'm going to do this. We don't talk on the East Coast. We just lift weights. But you guys oh. can just chatter away. <laughs> no, no, no. It's really just I, I a bunch sh- of shit talking. Shots <laughs> fired to start off, right? <laughs> yeah. But, yep. no, but that's I think that's kind of life, right? Like we just go around. We do our things, throw weights around. Uh, do incredible things and yeah, like, uh, and have life hit us and then get back up and do it all over again. Right. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so my background a little bit, I'm, I'm an architect by profession. That's what I do by day. So I get to design really, really cool things, somehow deal with codes, a little bit of permits, inspections, and that's the non-fun stuff that they tell you about. So Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. It's pretty darn technical and hard to be able to do all the cool, fun, beautiful stuff that hopefully we want people to actually see, you know? So yep. that's kind of life, which I think is is parallel to a lot of things in life. There's a lot of hard training in a back room to be able to go on the platform for even just six lifts. I don't even know. I don't think I've ever counted how many practice lifts you do. And then you can only get six at a competition to like show a percentage. That would be actually kind of a cool stat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of that that's my life. I've yeah, I've had a couple things thrown my way. Uh, I've had some health issues, um, which is definitely a motivating factor for weightlifting because it's nice to unfortunately be at the bottom end and then work your way up to hopefully show how much your body can do on the positive strength side. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely had that. So I am a cancer survivor. Um, I actually don't say I'm a cancer survivor very very rarely. Like I don't. I don't play the victim card. Um, and I like not mean that with any disrespect. It is a part of my life, but it's, and it does, it does change my perspective, but it's not the only part of my life. So it's, it's, I say it, it's just a chapter, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So how did you, uh, what led you to become, to get into the industry you're in and, and down like school and what, like, how'd you pick your school and how'd you get, how did, uh, how did that affect you and and did it take yeah, you across so the country that, or anything? All sorts of so yeah, I so I'm a total East Coast kid. You already brought that up. I've yep. lived all up and down the East Coast. Uh, I'm not a military kid. Uh, my parents actually came to the US when I was three, and they came, like my dad said, with a suitcase, a kid, and a thousand bucks. You know, Jeez. and it's kind of that that old story of, you know, somebody working really hard, getting a better job. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, my parents landed in the classic New York, uh, by airplane, not boat. Um, but yeah, they just, dad would get a better job and I'd move around the country. So I've lived, like I said, all East coast, New York, all the way down to Alabama. I had four kindergarten classes, did not even go to my fifth kindergarten class because like it was only two weeks of school left to give you kind of an idea how often we moved. 
Yeah. Ultimately, we settled like high school in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and that was like the first time it felt stable. So mm-hmm. four years in high school, which is pretty awesome, but didn't know anyone coming in. But that kind of set me up to like make Raleigh and let's say North Carolina my home. I live in Durham now. There's a little rivalry between Raleigh and Durham. They're sister cities. But I went to high school in Raleigh. Kind of was thinking I'd be in Georgia Tech actually for college. They replied first. Uh, And then I got lucky and NC State gave me more money. So I kind of did the (laughs) like – the awesome poor kid thing, right? I just, Hey, you're going to give me some money and scholarship to go learn stuff. I'm going to go there. Um, yeah. so yes, yeah, so I just went from like North Raleigh high school to downtown Raleigh, um, at NC state to college and two different worlds, suburban to downtown. So obviously went through the, Oh my gosh, I'm trying to be a little mini adult. Not really yet. Um, yeah. I went into engineering. Dad's a mechanical engineer, classic, you know, follow, listen to, you know, what your dad is Eastern European. So you kind of have this seniority slash follow in your father's footsteps. Uh, I guess shadow is the best yep. way to say it. Yeah. Um, but I always drew as a kid. Um, I always kind of played, always did a lot of like, like games. It's funny. I did an aptitude test, I think in sophomore year in high school and it told me to be an architect, but I had, I didn't even remember that until <laughs> like after I graduated college. Um, so it wasn't in my mind. I just did the dad thing. I'm going to, I'm going to be like Mm -hmm. dad. Um, so I learned to draft. He drafted a lot old school. I saw all this stuff growing up. So logical went to engineering. I did well, but I just, there was just no passion. Like, um, yeah, so it's a different mindset. Yeah. Very different minds, very technical. And I will say this, I work with some really creative engineers. So looking back, yes, you can be a very creative engineer and there's creative aspects to engineering. It just wasn't the type of creativity I per se wanted. So I flipped out, didn't get a job coming out of college and just applied to grad grad school, which I say flipped out is like, you know, everybody, all my friends, everybody graduating is like, yay, time to, you know, let's go buy a car. Let's go like actually make some money. And I'm like, (laughs) oh yeah, let's just continue to get poor. Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's go to art school. Let's go something like engineering. You're going to make tens of thousands of dollars to you're going to be an artist. A what? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it, I got I got picked on by good friends, but, you know, rightfully so and enjoyed it. Um, but, yeah, then I went to, to architecture school and started finding my niche. And to be honest, like any art there's so many different types of architecture. Um, you mm-hmm. know, there's very art architecture, there's technical stuff. There's people like me who my kind of architecture, like I love old buildings. I love tectonics, which basically is the real fancy way of saying how you put things together. Right. And yeah. like yep. we have such a cool way of exposing old buildings now like we've kind of lost the making of craft, but there's still craft inherent in old buildings that I think we're yeah. like rediscovering in a really good way. So that's kind of my love. My love is old buildings. And then add to that is, you know, Eastern European, Polish, always food on the table, big time food and beverage person. Like I okay. always ate well. You guys know I'm weighing in <laughs> way too much at competitions. Hey man, uh, hey man, weightlifters don't cut. I don't care. Yeah, I kind of have hit the now the world total in three weight classes now, 73, 81, and 89. So, <laughs> there you so go. John's kind of like, so you're lifting. I'm like, yeah, I have no idea. Like, I got to decide. I, I should be 73. Like, let's be honest. Like, it's just me being lazy and not trying to cut. Um, 
but yeah, no, it's uh, so so food is always there. So we specialize in like restaurants and food and beverage, and we've designed farms and coffee roasters and really kind of cool stuff. And a lot of it is in the old buildings, like restaurant and bars love old mm-hmm. buildings. So like over like I, that summarizes my like almost you know like say forty plus years on this earth. Um, there it is in a nutshell. So that's where I'm at. I'm a architect who has his own firm, specializes in food and Bev and love to work in downtowns here in North Carolina. And like, we're lucky that we also have some insane agriculture, insanely good chefs. And so right place, right time also, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, We got, we got some friends over there in Asheville. They, they just moved over there Mm -hmm. four years ago, three years ago now, but they absolutely loved it such a beer centric place there's definitely they said yeah they said it was the portland of the east coast it is it is like there is there's a triangle in Asheville that's kind of like the beer triangle like Mm -hmm. uh, there's good old uh, burial wicked weed i'm giving some shout outs to some brewers got to give some shout outs to like full steam here in durham too if i'm shouting out other people but uh, (laughs) like yeah because i was like y'all come to durham too like you know like Asheville's awesome in the mountains um we're still I think people know Raleigh and Durham has an insane food and food beverage scene. Um, Asheville just has that total niche in beer um, there yeah. in the mountains. Absolutely. So that's awesome. yeah. So North, North Carolina, we're spoiled. We got just kind of this middle middle of the nor- middle of the U.S. climate that just lets us grow really good stuff. And if you can grow good stuff, you can like make really good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, how? So How'd you find yourself? How'd you find your way into uh, into weightlifting and CrossFit and 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 whatnot? We talked about this last time, I know, but yeah, it's kind of a I I know it's kind of an interesting tale. It's a, it's a <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty straightforward but interesting tale. So um, I played soccer. Um, being a kid from Europe, that's what I grew up. I played tons and yep. tons of soccer um and never played collegiate was kind of always on the fringe um and honestly in college like i tried out for varsity and then decided not to join simply because i looked at the schedule and was like how in these how in the world is do you like do school and do this and i look back as like yeah maybe i could have done it because school's always going to be there your younger years of running around may not right yeah so i kind of have a thought on athletes of like yeah if you're young go do that stuff um, so I was always a soccer player. So I was one of those people that like runs around for 90 minutes and like doesn't get tired. Um, yeah, yep. Yep. And I had a friend um, and you guys probably know this, this person. So I'm gonna shout out a couple people. Christmas Abbott uh, was a friend of mine. Okay. She actually, I knew her before she got into, let's say before CrossFit, she was doing CrossFit, but not in a gym and didn't yet own her own gym. And I knew her from, from Raleigh, like just from yeah. the scenes in downtown Raleigh. She was a friend of mine. She worked in food and Bev a little bit. I work in food and Bev. We got to know each other when she did her first gym. Um, it was actually in a building that the company that I worked for owned. So I actually designed her first CrossFit gym. Oh, that's awesome. Raleigh. So of course we're friends and she's just riding me hard. Like, Hey dude, you got to do this CrossFit thing. And of course I'm that egotistical, still younger self of like, I run around for 90 minutes. What the hell can you do in 30 minutes that I can't do in 90? Right. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's just say it this way. I'll say one word barbell. (laughs) Oh man. So she finally got me in. 
Um, did not give me a barbell day one. Did give me a kettlebell. I tell you, in like 15 minutes, she kicked my ass like all over the place. And so I, I had to say it, like be real honest to her. I was like, wow, I can run around for 19 minutes or 90 minutes and you crush me in 15. There's, there is something to this, right? Yeah. So give CrossFit total like cred on that intensity and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I jumped in and, and, and joined her gym. And next thing you know, I got to, to meet a barbell and like, that was really the first time I ever lifted. I mean, I, I took, I took actually it's, it's funny. My senior year in high school, I kind of cheaped out a little bit, took some fun classes. I took art one, which got me into grad school. And I actually took weightlifting while playing soccer in high school. So it's, oh, wow. it's kind of, kind of funny, like to look back and like the things I just did for fun. My last year in high school, I actually do in my life now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she t- introduced me to a barbell and the story is pretty straightforward of like, I'm not the biggest guy. Like I mentioned, I should be 73 kilos. That's, that's what? 162. Is that right? Something, in pounds? something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So when like, even like, you know, like what Matt Frazier's in the one nineties, there are guys there in over two hundreds. Like you got like tall guys in the 200 pounds. Like, I mean, they're supposed to lift a damn lot more than you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but CrossFit doesn't care. Like, and she had that mentality because of the military. She was in the military a little bit, uh, or associated with the military. Um, I think she actually was doing civilian work with the military, but like closely associated. And the, the, the attitude in the gym was like, Hey, there's this big rock right in front of you. That rock don't care. Like, so if you're yeah. a small guy, you're a big guy, you're a girl, you're nothing like whoever you are, you've been here for three months. You've been doing CrossFit for three years. It don't matter. That rock literally don't care, you know, yep. Yep. which is kind of like kilos. Also kilos don't care. Like, yeah. you know, gravity yep. don't care. Like, um, so it was awesome because I was pushed to try to keep up with people who are naturally kind of had a natural advantage, but also like were well ahead of me in CrossFit. Like I was not an early CrossFitter. Okay. In um, stories, straightforward, simple. After about two and a half years of CrossFit, um, at that time we actually had four national lifters in the gym, and wow. yeah, wow. her and a couple other the coaches who are lifters kind of came over to me and just like, hey, by the way, what's your numbers right now? And I literally was like, here, here's what I'm clean and jerking. Here's kind of what I'm snatching, and they also knew I was a master. I didn't even I didn't even know there was a thing called masters at that time. I was already a masters <laughs> when I first touched a barbell. Um, so when we looked at the numbers, I was literally only a couple kilos off from a national total. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So it was just a compliment to like their type of training and honestly, very, very strong. I think like definitely on the good side, all the good things about CrossFit that gym did. And, yeah. you know, I didn't get injured. There's not any of that, like all that negativity that comes out there. I, you know, when good people are doing good things, good things happen. Well, back then, though, that they had a the barbell was a core part of CrossFit. It isn't so much. Well, hasn't been for like the last five or six years so much. But yeah, they're starting to come back. I I mean, I'm a barbell fan. I'm kind of a classic. The same thing with architecture, kind of like some classic drafting. That's kind of like the old school stuff, like fine, do all the new stuff, but really know the basics well. Um, and that gym did the same thing. Like, I mean, they wouldn't even let you in the gym until you did a month of fundamentals and learn the basic movements. And 
there was kind of this talk in the gym too of like, Hey, you know, you really shouldn't be putting much weight on the bar until about three months until your body acclimates and really knows the motions and yep. like going to a gym and basically being put, it's not on pause, but mindfully respecting your body to know that these are new movements mm-hmm. to give three months for your body to just simply learn the movement. Um, there's a lot of PVC pipe work, pipe work. There is barbell work. There is not that much weight, but it's, I mean, you've got like those basics are still like, they're still there. Like I, I was really, really lucky. There's a lot, I say mm-hmm. there's a lot of luck I've had in my life too. Um, but yeah, so I, I got to that and finally, like we got to that point where we looked at my numbers and they're like, Hey, do you want to actually focus on, on like a strength and weightlifting program for about three months and go to a comp? And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like I'm tired of getting beat up by these big guys. So let me, let me go, go to a competition. Um, I went down to, I can't remember which one it was. I went down to Savannah and I literally felt like I was cheating because I'm like lifting against everybody in my own size, like my own weight. Like it was like in, in my own age. Cause like I said, masters. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went on a streak early of winning a good bit of competitions because my foundation was so good. And, uh, and yeah, and there it is. And next thing you know, I'm weightlifting. Right. And Mm -hmm. then, then it's just a progression of moving up and I moved from Raleigh to Durham. So, you know, I couldn't go to that gym because it's just 40 minute drive that just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, had, had local coaches, you know, that those went all sorts of ways, different gyms, like the classic, like gym story. It's never, it seems more convoluted than it ever should be. Um, but in there, like, Yes, I, I gave Coach Penley a, a buzz and dropped him an email, got in touch with Coach Glenn, and I think I caught him at the right time too. Um, and he literally coached me for a while. Um, wow. And then we all know Coach passed. I think all of us went into funk land for a little bit. And then I just yep. reconnected with John. And next thing you know, here I am on Attitude Nation. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, so there's that's a lot. I feel like I dumped I dumped it all. Like everybody knows everything about me now. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So it, in that in that path and in that in that uh, I guess walk from from college, finding your career, finding a an outlet or a a, a transfer for your athleticism, right from from soccer in high school and, and, and early life to weightlifting CrossFit and then weightlifting. Um, were there any pitfalls? You said you didn't get injured, but the, you know, was there any pitfalls or anything that, um, set you back mentally, emotionally, um, mm-hmm. through that, through that time? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we all life throws all sorts of I use the term curveballs, right? Like, I feel mm-hmm. like everybody has a story. Like, we all have a bit of challenges, whether it be family, um, life, work. Um, you know, I had a series, and I, I'll, I'll go a little personal here. Like, I was brought up Eastern European, okay. and that's the household I was taught, right? But I lived in the U.S., and so, like, I'll be honest, I had a I think in my twenties, I say it this way. I was culturally confused. Like I didn't know, like I, here's the cool part. Years later, later in my thirties, I figured out, I was like, wait a minute, here's the cool part. I got taught two different things. I could take the best from both. Right. Yeah. But that maturity wasn't yet there in my twenties. Right. So, you know, I did 
moving a little bit from office to office at first, wasn't sure what kind of architecture I wanted to do. Um, I say I got married young, like that's a relative term. Um, it's funny. I got married like in my twenties, I was like the last person in my, let's say Polish family to get married. Mm -hmm. I was the first of all my American friends to get married. Right. So there's wow. a good example of like this cultural difference, right? Yeah. Like, you got everybody in Europe going, hey, when's Conor getting married? Is he going to like, I'm like, I'm, tw I'm 25. And they're yeah. like, oh yeah, he's never going to get married at 25 already. I'm like, what in yeah, the where, world? Where are the grandbabies? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'm 25. I'm like barely, I just got out of grad school, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let me live. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say like that led to, unfortunately, like, yes, I was married at one time, got divorced. Um, I, I say I just got married too young. Um, it's just, just kind of unfortunate it is what it is. I hope to think that I've learned a lot from that difficulty. Um, mm -hmm. I did get cancer at 29. Uh, my family, um, especially my mom's side, but there's some in my dad's side too. Do you have a, a cancer streak? Um, I got lucky oh, that I got to be the, the youngest to ever get cancer <laughs> in the family. Lucky. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I say it, I say it, you know, I can obviously kind of say it playfully now. Cause like I've been through that. Right. And yeah. I, I say humor also and like just goodwill, like you need some of that to get through these kinds of hardships. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I had, I had, luckily I had, once again, I had lymphoma, uh, Hodgkins, which there's a ton of research on. So percentages yeah. were actually not that bad. Um, I was, what's called a stage two out of four. So stage one is local, like in a lymph node. Stage two is like half your body. Three okay. is your whole body. And four is like past your whole body if it's infected multiple systems. So obviously okay. I had two. I had a classification of B because I had some really awkward symptoms. So like that's why I didn't catch it at one. My symptoms were not what is typical by the book. Um, okay. I just got lucky one day where a lymph node was exposed. Something looked big and off. Doctors tried to give me the classic medicines. We couldn't figure it out for a couple of months. And finally, a doctor was just blunt, honest with me. He's like, hey, you, if you want to know what it is, you want me to cut you up? And I'm like, let's do it. Let's go Let's go oh, pull this bad geez. boy out and see what's going on. Um, and the lymph node that got taken out was actually in my neck, which is yeah. a really, uh, let's say, delicate surgery. So I think my, I think just to take out a little lymph node that's on the surface of my neck was over a three-hour surgery. Wow. Um, and then wow. – yeah, the story there is super simple. Like, oh, it was supposedly nasty. Like the doctor walked out. I'm still under completely knocked out anesthesia. Uh, walks out into the classic like waiting room and just tells family is like, hey, I don't even need this to go to like um, whatever the biopsy department is where they cut it up and look at it mm -hmm. for real. He's like, no, that, that, thing's, that thing's full of cancer. Um, wow. So yeah, I just, I, I kind of knew. This is one of those things I do. You do trust your body. I knew something was up um, and I knew deeply something was really, really wrong. Like if you're a bit of an athlete, you know, you know a little bit about your body. I knew yeah. something was not right. Um, but I never thought it was so not right that I wasn't going to figure out how to get through it. Um, okay. And I'll be honest, can uh, cancer and especially chemo, I wish that on nobody. Um, someone explained it best because mentally this is so hard to understand, especially like unless you really go through it, they are literally poisoning you to an inch of your life. Mm -hmm. So 
like you are going to go through who knows what level of discomfort um, could be pain, like certain parts of your body don't function. Like it's, it, you don't even know what like those chemicals are going to do to you. Like it, that stuff yeah. is just, it is nasty. Um, so I say this, that after going through six months of chemo, I think the kind of counterpoint to, to weightlifting is I remember leaving the hospital on the last chemo treatment. I like couldn't walk. I mean, wow. I would take a step and my ankle would buckle. Like I could not support myself and I had already lost who knows how many, like 20, 30 pounds through chemo. Jeez. So like, you know, think about a soccer player. We're pretty darn, we're pretty darn thin to begin with. If we're that, that kind of endurance athletes, then I somehow lost yeah. 20 or 30 more pounds. And then I can't even, I can't even hold myself up. Yeah. You know? Um, so there's definitely this little streak of me of like, like the counter argument of like, I've seen the rock bottom of, of, of a person not being able to hold themselves up. I want to do the opposite. Now I want to show you how far I can go the other way. You know, yeah. how much yeah. can I now lift? Um, and I think that's where Glenn and I really got along because Glenn, Glenn is always a good strength person, loves mm-hmm. strength. And so to give someone like me who does not have a strength background, neither in athletics, nor can I say I've had a good continuous streak of strength because I literally got knocked on my ass, literally, um, yeah. that I was kind of a great experiment to put his strength aspect on me when he was coaching me. So that's kind of a cool, like I say, all these things are kind of tough parts and all that. Like they're just real big lessons learned and challenges gone through that mm-hmm. I hope to think at some level I've synthesized them, processed them, come to terms with them and then learn to just be better. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point, um, at what point did you, meet Glenn in your, um, transition from, um, or, or recovery from cancer? Was it so, like a, a few years or? Yeah, no, I, the cancer for me was like close to t- over 20 years, close to 20 years ago, not quite 18 years ago. So okay. anybody doing math realizes I'm now uh, 47. I had cancer at 29. <laughs> there you um, go. so here's what's scary. I believe Glenn was like 47 or 48 when he got cancer. So like, he's literally my, like literally this age, right? Yeah. So there was a huge disconnect. There was like our timing was nowhere close. And actually Glenn, Glenn had no idea I had cancer until he got cancer. Um, We, we, we chatted about it, you know? And I just told him, I said, Hey, I'm just going to say it this simple. Like I, I know your strength of character. All I want to do one day is when you get through this, just shake your hand. Like you and I can just wink at each other and say, we're survivors. Let's go. You know? Yeah. And that's it. Um, I think that's the coolest part about everybody who knows Glenn, like, like he's a man of, it's not a man of, he could be, he totally is. If we get into like the numbers and counting, oh my God, you talk about like, uh, a, a, opening like, up. Wow. Yeah. Like when he, when he just is at the right moment of opening up, um, and, and showing you his, like John likes to call me the beautiful mind, but no, like Glenn's beautiful mind of numbers and, like strategy and integrating human, knowing each athlete's numbers, how to motivate them, how to put numbers on a card to motivate an athlete because there's something special about that number. Like, mm-hmm. like th- there was always this aspect of like, it's, it's not, 
it's not just a kilo on the bar. It's not just a number, you know, like, yeah, it's one kilo, but it's a PR. Like there's, there's emotional, there's emotional context there. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, that's another reason I, I think I gravitate towards John is John is, has that emotional side to, to the lifting, you know, like, Oh, absolutely. It's, it's not as, it can be a very static sport, but like, it's kind of fun when it's not, when you just kind of make it something a little crazy and fun. Um, well, and, do it, and it, you go for it. Oh, I was just going to say that you're absolutely right that he, well, everybody of the, I'll, I'll, I like I've called it in the past, but the, the school of Penley, mm-hmm. right? Everybody that's been influenced by him one way or another, even if it was through, even if you weren't his athlete necessarily, but if your coach, I'm, I'm saying retrospectively or whatever, like, um, like Jared Fleming, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was never one of Glenn's athletes. Or was he for he was he was for a short time, short period of time. Uh, yes, there I think there is a little overlap there. Yes, but like before he was Glenn's athlete, like he was influenced by Glenn's training style or coaching mm-hmm. style, and what Glenn's athletes were doing. And same thing with Ian Wilson. Like all these guys are part of this this body of work that Glenn put together, and Glenn made weightlifting a part of life yeah like it wasn't it's not just a sport it's i mean it it, if you look at like small town football right like that's what in my mind that's what glenn perfect the perfect situation for glenn would would be not small town football small town weightlifting Mm -hmm. where you have a weightlifting team that has just as much like um, hold on the community as a football team does. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that amount of emotion and that amount of like just power and backing and, and heart, you know, and soul of, of a community. And now instead of being a small town, it's the entire country mm-hmm. has these little pockets of people who are influenced by him or by somebody who he influenced directly and it's it's such an amazing thing and what's what john has you know john and i have had the conversation multiple times about he he created the dark orchestra he created attitude nation and like what it really means is is so deep and so profound in in how people come together under this banner of let's just get out there and see what we can do, see what, yeah. see what our bodies are truly capable of and work past the mental part. And, and then once we're past the mental part, like the, the, the mental barriers and w- then our body creates a barrier and then yeah. let's, let's work past that. Let's, let's take our mind and use it against our body. Like let's, let's play this both ways. And it's really, really amazing. To, yeah. To, I to 100, 150% agree. Like there's like 10 stories that came to mind as you're talking everything from <laughs> like the, the, the stories of gifting of shoes by Glenn of athletes coming to their, his house of them all going out to eat and, you know, figuring out how to like, you know, get the most calories in, you know, mm-hmm. and like, you know, weightlifters are not, we're not the, we're not the most, uh, 
let's say gifted in terms of finances for our sport. No, nope. So we, <laughs> Not we all, all. It's, a, it's a little bit of a passion, passion thing. Right. And even the stories of like, you know, I've kind of, I've heard, I've heard I've more from John Glenn and I never talked about the old, like, like quote the boom days or the cow strength mm-hmm. days. Uh, Cause we were always a little more focused on today. But, the, you know, the stories of like the camera that came in the very first time to make some of those videos, you know, and the story yeah. of like supposedly and, and I'll let John tell the story more. But the, the little hint I got is some, somehow the at term Attitude Nation came up randomly where John's like made a lift on a camera for Glenn and Glenn's already like, what the hell am I doing with this camera? You know, YouTube yeah. wasn't a thing, you know, and so they're all just like goofing around with this camera. And John screams something like, that one's for the Attitude Nation. And Glenn's like, who the hell is Attitude Nation? <laughs> and John's like, everybody out there. <laughs> or oh something my like God. that. And so it's so that's the that's kind of the rumor of the story that I heard that it's this like it's all of us out there who are eventually going to be a part of this thing that just kind of like they didn't even know they were creating, but they kind of like hoped that it was there. And like the yeah. cool part is like it kind it actually happened. Like, yeah no absolutely you know? and then the, the mental stuff is like yeah that when you say that like you know you and i were chatting like about a bit about the counting of cards and the competition stuff but when i'm like coaching with john i actually take it as my like somewhat my responsibility to remove every factor that i am capable of removing as a coach at competition to let the athlete focus on exactly what you're saying that is the lifts and mm-hmm. so remove the mentality of like, oh, when am I going to lift? When is this? What's on the clock? What's this? Like, I want an athlete not to worry about anything. I want all focus to be on like you lift that barbell. And yep. John and I were talking about this on on Monday. And I think we kept coming back to the same word. Like there's just an athlete coach trust, right? There's this yep. relationship that is so key to that success. So when, you know, if you ask me about what do I do with all the like backroom card counting that I do for the team and setting us up for lifts, like if I didn't have the trust of the team and vice versa, me trust, because like when I lift, I do the same thing. I turn around, and give it to Adam, uh, to Adam, Aaron Denning and uh, John in the same way. Like I don't look at the board. Like I yeah. do what I like kind of want my, the let's say the athletes that I'm helping. I want you to focus on that barbell, you know? Yes. So that that's kind of cool. The, the mental aspect, exactly. That mental aspect is very powerful when it is focused on a single effort, right? And that's the cool thing yep. about like our sport is we do get to go on stage in within that one minute. Like it is a singular focus, very dynamic, very powerful, very fast moment of athletics, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so your focus is just that intense. So like, yeah, the CrossFit sets you up for that intensity, you know, and then the, the hype that John brings sets you up. The training that we do gives you the confidence to move that kilo or two around on the bar to me, get you in a certain place at the competition so that your warm up and your timing and your rest is kind of as, as much as we can kind of figure out maximized for each lifter, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's the mentality, like you said, like, yes. And all of that, I mean, I will say I got taught indirectly through Glenn, like just per application. This is not, yeah. you know, I read Seb's book, love Seb. Seb's great. Seb's give, Seb gives you just a hint of how deep and powerful Glenn's thoughts were, 
you know? Yeah. And that book is fantastic because Glenn wanted a simple book that you can read. But I think any of us that are directly influenced or had any relationship with Glenn can tell you like, oh, no, that guy, that guy had like there was a deepness. There was Mm -hmm. a singular focus from a coaching aspect of weightlifting that he wanted every athlete to give. And that total buy-in is the basis of trust, you know? Yeah. 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 Pretty, it's, it's pretty nuts. And I think that's the coolest thing too, is we can talk about how many people are, were influenced, you know, and the vibes of weightlifting, in my opinion, have gotten better. I see competitions being more vibrant, um, more fun, even from the officials, like, and obviously I'm at the table, so I interact with the officials, but I will yeah. say in the last couple of years, that that aspect of fun and camaraderie it's gotten across the whole sport of weightlifting from what i see definitely on yeah. the masters level i i see it on the 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 senior level too i mm-hmm. i i every arnold nationals the ones that i've been at coached the coaches are cool i mean there are moments where yeah okay like we got to figure out how to beat each other but like all in all yeah. it's like yeah we want to beat each other because everybody wants to lift the most weight yeah well that's yeah. the thing i mean honestly like there's as far as the lifter is concerned, like the like you said, like you break it down. So the only thing he has to worry about, he or she has to worry about, is lifting the weight that's on the bar. Like, mm-hmm. and it not even like, and if the trust is there, yeah. right, and the confidence in their coach and their coaching staff is there, then they shouldn't even need to know what's on the bar. They just need to mm-hmm. know that they did their warm ups progression and the the weight that's out there is heavier than the last one that they just made and they got to make it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, if you're, if it's at nationals and you're in a session and, and you're close to the podium, like you're going to know that the next, like your next lift is either going to give you gold or give you silver or, or give you gold or you're, or you're not going to be on the podium at all. Like that kind of situation, like, yeah. That's a little bit different, but still that trust is there that y- all you need to know as the athlete is trust and mm-hmm. that, that weight is that weight and there's no change in it. And it's either going to go overhead and you're going to stand it up or you're not. Yeah. You yeah. know, and the other mentality, I think we hinted at this last time we talked or we were talking about it offline a little bit is like, what, like, I would love to go through a lot of athletes and just out of curiosity, I don't know how many would actually totally reveal it. What are you, what is the, your actual thought process? I mean, we could go all the way to like walking up on the platform, right? But let's just say just the moment when your hands actually touch the barbell, like the only person I say that like literally t- like kind of rips like Brett Andrus, like he just has such a like stand up that when he steps down, he just literally grabs with confidence and goes mm-hmm. almost all of the rest of us. Like we grab the bar and have a moment, right? Yeah. What what I'd, mentally what mentally goes through that like couple of seconds, right? So I'm kind of curious. I'll throw the question at you. What do you, like? What what's your thought? I'll t- I'll show you what what I go through. Uh, I'm curious what you what you think about like those that moment where your hands are on the bar but you haven't lifted yet. Um. Let's see. This is gonna be so. Usually. It has absolutely like, it's not sometimes like little, like little things will leak into what 
the bubble that or that the cloud that the storm or whatever that I've created to like initiate my CNS to get my mm-hmm. everything to fire right and and be as 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 like motivated in a singular motion as possible right to just be completely tunnel visioned on making that lift and not thinking about the weight, not thinking about my form, not thinking about where my feet are, not thinking about how I'm gripping the bar or anything like that, or who's looking or where the judges are, or, or like trying to like, you know, how we've, mm-hmm. it's the mental aspect or the mental game of finding that one little thing yeah. that's going to going to put you over the edge of insanity. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, is is the one thing that I think of that I I it's different for everybody, right? But yeah, like, yeah. and you don't you usually don't. It's that it's like blowing your candles out on your birthday. You don't tell anybody, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, no, but, that's what, that's what I said. Like, it, if you want to share, like, because no, it is, so like, so yeah. I won't I won't share what it is. It's just yeah. Um, I've t- Matt and I talked about it a few few episodes ago, but it was so my old one, um when John and I were still training together, when he lived over here, mm-hmm. um, it was, uh, Kyle Lee had told me like, think about like you're holding on, like have something in your memory that you're holding on to, And it, you're like on a bridge that's breaking. And that thing is, is something that you cannot let go of, but that's dangling over a ravine and you're trying not to let go. And that's the, like the spark or whatever. And so, um, my daughter was going, taking swimming classes and my whole family grew up on, on a lake. Um, and so that the fear of her drowning and whatnot, like that came into the forefront at that period of time. So I was like, okay, well that will fit fits into like her being like just out of reach for me to save her. Yeah. And then there was also like, to go along with that was a moment when we were driving to the gym where I don't even know what I said, but it just cracked her up. And she just had like, you know how your kids laugh and it's like freaking bells ringing. It's the most magical Mm -hmm. thing in the world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So there was that tied with the fear of losing her in a way that there was no possible way for me to save her. And along with my biggest fear as from like, that's just genetic is drowning um, just because we spent so much time on the water growing up, it was like 30 or 40% of the year was either was on the water. The rest of the time was playing baseball, playing football, like, or wrestling, yeah. like that was it. Um, so that was the first thing that I would, that I think of going up to the bar and it was just so tunnel vision in on, on that moment, on that thing to completely cloud out everything else and not let like, okay, did, are my, are my, is my grip, are my knuckles even looking down on the, on the platform? Are my feet even, am I centered up on the bar? You know, is that judge staring at me funny or, you know, is my wife and and daughter actually paying attention right now? Do they know that? Are they, are they proud of me? Like uh, just anything and everything, right? Did I miss in the back room? Right. That, that one thing is what I think of. And mm-hmm. the, like, there's a weird thing that happens on my hand when I grip the bar. And if my, the, my palm, the skin on my palm huh. folds over funny. Okay. What's weird. That little thing, mm-hmm. if it happens, 
completely ruins my world. Like <laughs> everything's destroyed. So yeah. like when I'm gripping the bar, like there is a process that I go through to make sure I grip the bar right. So I don't mm -hmm. like, but it's not like it's kind of second nature. So it's not a thought necessarily yeah. that will like interrupt the, the, the other thing. But yeah, that's like the one thing that'll like whisper in there. That'll fuck everything up. Yeah. But yeah. that's, and that's it. And then there's like a breathing pattern that I do that I do every single mm -hmm. time. And there's, that's, that's it. Like, I don't yeah. think about, I don't think about over pulling or pulling hard or my pressure in my feet or nothing like that. It's all just, it, it, it's kind of primal really. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just and, to and break it down. And that's the cool thing is like the people, almost everybody I've talked to, and I will say people who do a good bit of lifting most of the time, the answer is exactly like you said, it's something mental, something very personal, and it is not about form. It is not about lifts. It's not about the judges. It's not about the audience. There's like you do like primal is a good word. You tap into something very personal and it gets to the like, why are you lifting? Like, why are you kind of mm -hmm. here? Like, or what are you doing it for? Like, like. I, I tend to say this humans, humans deep down inside, we're not selfish. We want, we do want to do other people. Kids do want to please like, like we, mm -hmm. we do want to be a community. Right. So yeah, there, there is almost always some greater motivation in an individual sport. You know, there's the classic, yeah. like, you know, you want to live up to your dad's expectation, right? There's that, that that's Absolutely. a classic one. You hear that yep. one a lot, right? There, that one's there. There's no question. That one's there. Um, like my ritual is pretty straightforward and I tap, I don't think it's, I don't think about cancer, but my mentality is based on my cancer. I look at it this mm -hmm. way. I was given a second chance. And so I actually, my mental prep, the biggest thing when I'm pulling the bar is I think about this is an opportunity in this moment to potentially be successful. Mm -hmm. And the key thing there is potentially successful because I don't want to put a pressure of like, oh, I have to hit this lift. There is this, to me, this super balance of confidence, but not stress. Okay. So, because okay. if I'm overly stressed thinking I got to hit this lift, that puts me into a different zone and that's not that confident zone. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So my whole walk up, and you guys probably know this, like there's kind of the joke around there. Like I'm the guy with the M&Ms, right? Yeah. I like sit down when we go before I get on the platform, I put my M&Ms under the seat, got something to drink and I put a couple M&Ms in my mouth. That is the start of, I call like those happy joy moments of like, here it is. Let's go. Let's have some fun. This is an opportunity. Let's mm -hmm. go play, you know? Yep. And sure. Like I watched the video and it's like, you look like it's serious and John's hyped up, patting you on the back, slapping your legs, all of that. Yeah. There's, a, there's still a lot of hype. But there's this underlining of like, this is fun. This is yeah. absolutely fun. And so the M&Ms in my mouth are always a little reminder of the goofiness of fun. One, I just love M&Ms. But two, mm -hmm. like, I, like 
used to hide M and M's in like a coffee table, <laughs> like and sneak M and M's. Like nice. so, nice. there's M and M. Like that's when like oh, I was watching my weight and stuff, but there was M and M's in the coffee table. So when you sat down, watch TV, you could grab some, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so they're tapping into that kind of stuff too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I go through the kids. I go through the other stuff too. Most of that happens as I'm walking up. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's 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 a fun thing to talk about that mentality because it's so based on your experiences, uh, you know, obviously both good and bad that you're internalizing at that moment. Like yeah. that's kind of like get I guess that gets into the like Donnie comment of like why why you know like Donnie Shankle is like this is the like ultimate you know expression of 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 man in sport right. And I don't know yeah. if he says man or human or however he says it, because like there are incredibly great female lifters and no disrespect there whatsoever. That's a, unfortunately a bad cultural thing that we still say man. Um, but like it is just such an, let's say, an expression of human performance. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, like that, that, it, yeah, to me, it's also a super expression of, of mental performance, of physical performance, of like the of an expression of especially at a master's level of surviving thriving conquering all the challenges that life threw at us right absolutely somehow we somehow we still found the time to train we still found the time to travel to to do this thing that we know is good for our bodies like i mean kind of i I kind (laughs) of i say kind of but like to be honest with you i mean i changed i changed from like ultimately to weightlifting from soccer because there was a time i was doing crossfit weightlifting and soccer at the same time and i would play a game on a weekend come injured and miss like two or three days of lifting because i had like you know beat up shins and like twisted ankles and stuff so in no major injuries but like it like you know when i played high high level senior amateur like you do not like you get your knocks and bruises it takes a couple days of recovery Um, oh absolutely so, so the hard part with soccer is like you can't just jump into like right intensity the very next day with those knocks and bruises. Um, lifting, I think, is with a good coach that has a good program. They know how to balance that soreness and fatigue so you can continue to lift day after day, you know? Yeah. Um, and that and that that gets back into Glenn. That gets back into John of, you know, I, I know I'm the best at a four day lift four day lifter. Um, mm-hmm. I know some of you guys go six days ham. Like, that's awesome. I'm jealous of you guys who can go six days. I can't, I can't <laughs> do that anymore. I mean, I I'll, I'll do it. If I, if my schedule lines and it's not soccer season and I'm not coaching, then I can do like, I can do three weeks of fives, fives mm-hmm. and sixes maybe. Um, but yeah, no, I'm a four day, three, four day. And like, maybe if, if, somebody wants to roll over to the garage or or we want to meet over at Matt's on Saturday just yeah. for a quick max out or whatever then yeah it's but I can't do it anymore man it's just it's too much yeah no Glenn Glenn and I that was actually one of the first things Glenn did is when we chatted he was like I literally at your age don't know what to like how much to push you and mm-hmm. so like there was the first our first understanding was this he was like I'm throwing the full program at you and you tell me if your body is breaking, like if you can't, like if we're getting to a point, like, so there's this trust level of like, like that was the one cool thing with Glenn. Like I, he told me straight up from day one, like I'm an experiment. 
which mm-hmm. honestly, that's like the biggest compliment from Glenn because he was always trying stuff. He was one of yeah. those always learning, always doing stuff. And he just said, like, you're a master's athlete. Like, I'm like, I'm just going to throw it at you and see what your body can do. And, you know, I'm one body of multiple bodies, but like I was, I was a little bit of a test of, yeah. And he, he started with a five day program. And I think within yeah. three weeks we discovered I was not optimizing. Um, and so we switched to a four day program. And then of course, Glenn's brilliance of which days are heavy, what's heavy on which days, you know, mm-hmm. how to recover, um, what I should do on the three days of recovery, you know, with this four day program, there is two back to back days. Those two back to back days were really important to have rights, you know, like you yeah. could not split the back and back, the back, the back day. Like that just could not happen. Um, with, that brilliance of why it's programmed the way it was. Um, yeah. Four days just was, was optimal for me. It just like, you know? So, so when you say you don't split the back to back days, like, are you, um, were you snatching and clean and jerking and squatting the on both those back to back days or mm-hmm. were you, or were you snatching first and clean and jerking and then taking a day off to let your back yeah. and your, to take a break before you came back? Yeah. So what Glenn did for me, cause like with the soccer, um, and I don't have a strength background. So strength was something we were subtly building. Okay. And I say subtly, trust me, like when I went to bed and was sore, it was not subtle. Um, uh, but yeah, no. what we would do is almost always like day three was like a lot of times, especially before comp, we definitely did a lot of the classic, like, you know, shoots and ladders, snakes and ladders. Like, mm-hmm. like you just max up, like, you know, make, make sure you hit a certain number of reps, but you're trying to build as heavy as you can on those reps, both on okay. snatch and clean and jerk. And then like, literally that's it on day three and day four was the follow day. And day four is you go in and you squat super heavy. You, you press super heavy, like he did made me do classic pulls deadlift or pulls super heavy and like what else i mean we come sometimes through in bench sometimes through in pull-ups like but even pull-ups like it was max pull-ups like like dead hang pull-ups so we're not talking Damn. like any of that crossfit kipping stuff oh no we're no, talking- no 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 yeah, we're like talking real. you hang and you pull and you pull as much as you can. And when you're like, you literally can't pull yourself up. That's the only time you drop off the bar, you know? And then you God, do that's, rounds that's, of that. That's freaking, uh, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. That was, um, it was a Russian philosophy of, I can't remember what the, what it was, but it was basically doing pull-ups to failure. Mm-hmm. And they had, they had a certain name for it, but there was a reason to do it. And it was like for a 30 day period and like you built, like it was, it's, there's a whole, like, I mean, it, it's Russian. So of course they wrote yeah. a book on it, but of course, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that's, that's crazy that he utilized that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that's one of the best things. Like I wish I would have been able to be there to experience Glenn and his mind and how it worked and how, mm-hmm. and like, I wish I could have him on this podcast to ask him like, why, like, why, how, how did you come to the conclusion to try this? Yeah. I I mean, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's just like any other, like, just like me. It's like, huh? Well, that's an idea. Let's, let's try. Yeah. And if it it fails right away, then okay. It failed. Oh, darn. Like move on. Part of the, part of the brilliance is like, there's, 
like in this like like gen- genius is not that you've got the answer right off the bat, but you yep. are at such an advantage of you're already in the right direction. Yeah. Right. So yep. is that going to work perfect? We don't know. Like, let's be honest, like we learned five days fail for me. Right. But yeah. we were close enough to be able to adjust from five to four. Right. And so like, I don't know exactly all of Glenn's methodology. I mean, I can tell you right off the bat, like he's definitely throwing strength at me. Like he wants a strength day. Right. And he's going to mm-hmm. put that classic. He's going to put that strength day right after a day. You fatigue yourself classically with the lifts. Right. Yep. Like yep. all the muscles and all the body parts were just, let's say, maxed out the day before. Right. Yep. So now I'm going to throw you the heaviest strength day the day after. Right. Wow. I'm going to literally push your body to the point like those four day fours were almost always the longest sessions. They came to sometimes three hours because you had oh to put, gosh. you had to put rest in between those. I mean, they're the classic, like five by fives, right? Yeah. Five, yeah. I mean, five by five of 90% of your five rep max. <laughs> and, and wait, wait, that's week one. <laughs> week one. <laughs> So, like, you could just imagine what's about to really go down the next couple of weeks. This is not going to get any easier, right? And, but here's the cool thing. We were talking about mentality, right? When you go out of those strength days and I'm sitting there and I still do this and I still know that there's this, there is this very cool relationship between fives and and a single. You should without question, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't have all the stats to 100% back this up, but Mm -hmm. it works for me. I can do five of front squat more than I can clean. So if, if I can do that, then dude, I like, all I got to do is catch it. I know I can stand it up. I can stand this thing up more than five. I can stand this up five times. Yeah. Right. Easy. Yeah. Easy. All right. That's that's the that's kind of the brilliance of the mentality and some of the numbers inside. Like when we get into like even planning for competition and stuff, I actually think Brill- Glenn ha- was a genius in how to apply the numbers, not only to his athletes but to that mentality that you're talking about. Right. Like mm-hmm. if he's breaking me down on day four, making me do pulls. And like deadlifts at, you know, let's say pulls were easily 110% of your max clean for multiples, okay. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know where that bar is going to go. 100% now feels light on a pull, right? Yep. So you're doing yep. that. And then you're doing, let's say, front squats to higher than your single clean is for multiple reps. You kind of got the, you're, he's on that strength day, he's building you, you mentally as much as physically because like, you can pull it and you can stand it up. So yeah. darn catch the thing. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like then, he, <laughs> then all you got to do is jerk it. It's fine. Right. Then jerk it. And I, you know, I have an advantage on jerk. Uh, like my, I've got fast feet from soccer. So like mm-hmm. my jerk, I, I mean, I jerk 10% more than I clean. Like that's stupid. You know? What the? F- okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, my max. Cl- <laughs> I mean, I've tightened it up a little bit, but my max, my max clean actually is one one fourteen. Uh, I'm trying to remember if I did one fifteen. One fourteen is definitely my max clean and jerk, and I know I've definitely jerked one twenty four, if not even one twenty six, if I remember correctly. Wow! So that's, that's a ten that's kilo crazy. jump. Yeah, it's crazy, and it's just 
I, I say this, I just have fast feet. I can put them in the right spot super fast. Um, mm-hmm. It's not about the press strength. It like, this is the classic weightlifting. So awesome. Like if you don't have the strength, you can make it up with speed, right? If you don't pull the bar yep. high, if you can still get fast under it and have the mobility, like it can complement slash, I hate to say make up for your lack of strength, but it can, right? You can like, these elements are so cool. Each of us, each of us are different. Efficiency. Like, efficiency. And each one of our bodies are a little different. And the cool thing is the best athletes and the best lifters in the world are amazing at all that. They're fast. They're strong. They have great technique. Like they're mobile. Yeah. Like, yep. you know, this is where like you look at someone like Lasha, like, of course, let's all talk Lasha, right? Biggest, biggest man ever, most weights ever lifted. I don't know how that man does it. How does he move that much mass of himself that fast? Well, I mean, he's been doing, oh, how, I mean, he's always been a plus, but mm-hmm. when he, when he weighed like 120 kilos or 115 kilos, like he was still snatching over 150. Like, you know, like he's learned how he learned his technique when he was smaller and he's just consistently stayed Mm -hmm. on that on that progression and been able to keep his keep all of it i mean it i I don't know yeah i don't i I don't want to say the word but or the acronym but i'm pretty sure there's there's something else going on other than training and eating and and staying mobile but anyhow aside from that like it's still, I, I, I got into a conversation the other day at work about this and it, it's, there's no way to replace the skill it takes to put that bar overhead into, into, a less than a centimeter centimeter of where it has to be mm-hmm. as far as your center of gravity, right? Yeah. Your center plane of gravity to be able to stand it up. And mm-hmm. that only that that accuracy only gets more important the heavier it gets, and Agreed. so to be able to do that with two hundred twenty five kilos is unfreaking believable. Mm-hmm. And it does it, like that accuracy and that skill doesn't come from any addition of anything. Yeah. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, watching the fact that the fact that Ilya was able to squat jerk over 140 like yeah. I, I i i'm sorry like yes repetitions and recovery and being able to train more and all that all that bullshit like whatever but that accuracy and that that finite line that razor's edge the mm-hmm. what what was it what what donnie used to say you got to be able to you ought to be able to thread a needle and hit a rhino that's charging at you all at the same time. And all this, like, you know, crazy ass analogy. Sounds like Donnie. (laughs) Yeah. Like, but it's, it's, it's totally honest. Like being able to hit 104 mile an hour fastball. Like, yeah, yeah, Barry Bonds was on juice. Absolutely. So is Mark McGuire, but being able to make contact on a ball, on a freaking ball. Yeah. That's slightly bigger than the bat you're swinging with that's flying at you at a hundred plus miles an hour and hit it with the right trajectory mm-hmm. to clear a fence 390 feet away. Like, yeah, sorry. Like it's just that accuracy, that skill, that, that muscle memory, like it's, it's next level. And the, and like yeah. you said, these guys like, like Nino, Nino, uh, Pizzolato, mm-hmm. like that guy is fast. God, yeah. he's fast. Yeah. Yeah. And 
accurate. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's I'm trying to remember who I was watching. Like every once in a while during work, I'll just throw in like a, U, a ESPN documentary or something, right? And they'll like yeah. obviously go through the stories of the 30 by 30s and all that kind of stuff. And they've got yeah. so many of these series now. Or like anyway, I I haven't I know I cannot remember which athlete. I'm I'm pretty sure it was baseball. I'm 100% sure it's baseball. They were talking about exactly that, like the ability to hit a ball, right? I mean, that obviously takes like coordination and vision, right? And mm-hmm. I can't remember. They were talking about a famous outfielder that had such insane vision. They could be in the outfield, and I think they could read like the like the name on the back of a jersey at home plate, which That's- like – is is such a elite super high level of vision like it's it's like such a small almost infinitely not like like that that was just a god-given gift so like you just happen to have this gift of vision and so like Mm -hmm. if you have that accurate of vision then like you found a great application to that vision because that vision is needed to see whatever subtlety turn, whatever in the baseball, but then you still have to react. There's still a lot of other pieces to it, right? Yeah. But you're given one like major skill to be able to, to, to perform at a high level. And you're right. Like that's cool thing. Like we can talk about every sport. I have a respect for, for every sport because like there is training involved in every sport, you know? Um, like, like we could all like kind of make fun of golf, but like there's a mentality to golf, absolutely, right? Oh, don't like don't even get me started <laughs> on golf, dude. That it's the the amount again, the amount of just ridiculous skill to mm-hmm. not put any like spin on the ball that's unwanted right to be able to put the correct amount of spin on the ball with any club in your bag at any time of the day and place that ball exactly where you want it within Mm -hmm. five percent yeah like it's it's just like i played outside of high school or it was it was like junior year or whatever so the summer before junior year my dad is a contractor and Mm -hmm he with that part of his like negotiation for his spot in that company was he had to have a family membership at the country club. Yeah. So the company, the, the company paid for our membership <laughs> at the country club. And so that was my mom's babysitter that summer was mm-hmm. she would drop me off as the sun was coming up and I'd go play around a golf <laughs> in the yeah. mist, go play around a <laughs> golf, go get a cheeseburger then go back and shoot another round of golf and then go mm-hmm. swimming and then possibly go and either do nine or another 18. I did that five days a week. Yeah. I got so good. It's all yeah. gone now, but like it yeah. was like that repetition. These, that's the same thing mm-hmm. these guys are doing. They're just getting paid a few million dollars to do it. Yeah. I mean, the, I think you get to it. Like there's, there is hard work cannot be taken out of an athletic endeavor. No, like no, there, absolutely that, there's, not. You could get to a certain level with some gifts, but there is no question this, this, let's say, attitude of hard work, maxing out, like some of those things that are on our team all the time, pushing each other, like, Mm -hmm. like you cannot get to your peak without that. Like that, that's, that's a necessity, no question about it. And that's where like, when I, like I mentioned, I step up to the bar, that hard work provides an opportunity you, I to do the best that you can on the platform. Right. But you can't, you can't go on that platform without putting in that work. 
Like you just, you just no. cannot, right? And well, with that, that work comes those other aspects of precision, accuracy, speed. Like there's so much other stuff to do, but like, mm-hmm. like to get to the, your best. And I'm not gonna say like that, that's like, we all have personal goals to get to your best. You got to put in the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you absolutely. Sure. Well, on that opportunity, the, the idea of the opportunity that was that was a big thing for Glenn. Um, I know we keep going back to Glenn, but I, he had such a he has had such a big impact on you. He has yeah. remotely had a big impact on me. Um, but his whole philosophy and and Donnie's and 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 John's and and everybody else was in that era was every time you step up to that bar on the platform, like that's an opportunity mm-hmm. to prove or disprove what you've yeah. been doing. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it carry, yeah. carries over to everything in life. Like every time, every time you turn those keys over to your client, right? Yep. That's an mm-hmm. opportunity for you to succeed and to prove who mm-hmm. you are and what you've done. And like every time that I, you know, I walk away and I go tell the weld inspector that welds ready for x-ray. Like that's an opportunity that that weld was an opportunity for me to prove my training and prove yeah. my background. And like, it's, it's amazing how, how much weightlifting carries over just the philosophy that, that we train under, mm-hmm. um, carries it, it, over into the rest of life. It does, but they go back and forth. You're totally right. There are times where I'm in meetings in architecture and we'll make a weightlifting reference. And pretty much everybody knows I weightlift um, yeah. clients and like engineers and every and GCs for the most part. Um, but yeah, every once in a while, like that kind of reference pops up and then vice versa, like chatting with you, like some, like, I'm surprised I haven't really dropped a big food and beverage, like, you know, analogy, like, <laughs> like we almost always talk like consistent to like growing things or recipes, you know, but that's yeah. the same kind of thing. Like, like one of the ones, one of the ones that we're big on right now, and obviously with COVID and things stopping and like, we're in this time warp is this whole notion of time. Like we kind of like, it is actually such a valuable thing. And this could be so personal work, weightlifting, like time is such an important ingredient in life. Like we are mm-hmm. given time. We have to respect time. It can be taken away from us. Like I got that hint of what happens when it get like, don't know what happens, but like, Hey, <laughs> like somebody's about to steal that stuff. Right. Hey, green yeah. reaper. Thanks. But no, thanks. I'm out of here. Right. Yeah. Um, so like that's appreciation of time. Same thing, like time to give to other people, to do your work well, to train well, uh, to take the time up op- the opportunity to like go show off your work. Like you said, like whether it be welding, going on the platform, like, you know, dedicated training, that's a lot of time. Like I I'd like at a personal state right now where time is so valuable. And so like same mm-hmm. kind of thing when I'm going up there doing counting cards, right? I'm actually managing time the whole time like oh it's sounds exactly kind of funny. what you're doing yeah i'm totally managing the time but like to me it's not the time that's on the clock that i'm managing i'm managing the fact that like someone like every, every one of our athletes has put in a godly huge amount of hours and it's my job to protect their opportunity to get on that platform to do the best that they can in the best scenario with a good amount of rest between lifts or of as timed of a warm-up that you feel comfortable 
that like you're ready to go like you're ready to have fun on that platform um yeah so yeah time time is kind of like honestly if you ask me like where my head is like that that right now is the concept that's like at every level of my like thought process right now is the value mm-hmm. value and importance of time yeah 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 no that's that's amazing man yeah um so we're coming up on time speaking of time oh yeah what a good transition right wow right set that Um, up (laughs) yeah um inadvertently but it works Um, that's right that was not on the script it just came out that way (laughs) yeah um so i really i I try to ask this question to everybody that that i interview um so with you having having gone through divorce and having Mm -hmm. gone through cancer um relatively at close to the same time period um yeah how did you yeah they were five years apart and yeah there's some relationships between there let's be honest like you know going through cancer having kids deaths and family there there was yeah there was a lot of stress in my late 20s early 30s like life hit hard and you know things things happened you know yeah so like I said before we we hit record, um, the the premise of this of this of this podcast and the idea is finding finding your path to success through failure and recovery. Um, and I know through through my personal experience with um, my divorce, my first marriage, and the the fallout ment- mental and emotional fallout that, that happened, um, within myself and realizing, um, what I needed to do for myself and how I really truly need to look at the time that I, I had spent with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did you, how did you, how did it hit you and how did you, um, cope with the emotional and mental aspects of it? Because I know it rocked me and, um, I, luckily I didn't have kids with, with that person, but, um, you obviously have, um, how, how walk, walk us through a little bit, um, going as deep as you'd like, um, in the, the fallout and the recovery and like how you, how you dealt with that and how it's changed you and obviously changed you for the better and, and given you a new outlook on life and, um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first thing is obviously these kinds of, especially like divorce, cancer, health issues, very personal. I will, I will say like, uh, you know, each of us have a story. We're probably going to be on different timetables, different responses. It's a very personal mm-hmm. thing. So, I mean, my first, my first kind of thing to anybody is it's a test to trust yourself. You know, you mm-hmm. do have to kind of dig deep and find what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And that's, that's a tough, tough honesty. Um, it's not, I don't, I don't know if it's something we're, it's kind of crazy. Like I, I, it's one of those things. I don't even know if you could describe or teach someone like you almost have to go through an experience to, to realize that this is kind of part of the, that's part of the process. Right. Um, yeah. I look at it this way. I, you know, my, my particulars and I could kind of overlay some time. It's made sense for me to put things into context and 
I say it this way, like, and I've hinted at it. You know, I, I was culturally confused in my 20s is the best way to say mm-hmm. it. Um, I personally didn't know what I should be doing as an adult myself, much less giving it to somebody else, creating that dynamic, good relationship. Like I'm amazed that that takes a lot of effort. Right. And mm-hmm. if, if you don't quite have yourself yet figured out, like it's, it's amazing to be able to do it. So like people who are married 50 years, all that, like it's, it's kind of an incredible thing. I totally like that. It's incredible. Cause the, the amount of change each person individually goes through is, is, is tremendous. So like yeah. my case is, you know, I did, yes, I did have kids, let's say early, late, late twenties, early thirties. I have two, um, one right before cancer, one after cancer. Uh, like, like there was a chance that like there, that like Jack would have never showed up. Like there was a definite possibility, uh, based on the wow. drugs that I was given. Um, so wow. I came out kind of lucky on that end, I guess. Um, so the, 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 I look at it this way. I had 18 years of training uh, of an Eastern European culture that has a very difficult history between world wars, uh, communism. There's a lot of cultural things that my parents and I look back and it's like, I totally understand their mentality of, you know, physically having objects because things were taking away, taken away within my, like, not far generations. My grandparents' generation had everything taken away from them. Like, like the country got bombed. They got displaced. They had they lost everything. You know, yeah. so my parents like, like I, I laugh at my dad that he keeps like every screw and like every part, every piece of an automobile, even though he's got a new part, he keeps the old one. Like, mm-hmm. that's a cultural thing. That like, there's an importance there. So I got trained in this way that is not always consistent with. Like what we have as opportunities now, we're living in a very uh, much, let's say, happier, comfortable time, even though, yes, we have all this social stuff and stuff's coming up. And yes, there are still like issues in society we need to definitely deal with. Like, luckily, we're not in wars and stuff, right? So a, a lot of that stuff filtered. I didn't realize as a kid until I became an adult and went through problems of like, hey, why do I have, why was I taught these things? Are these things good? What's the baggage that I'm carrying? Like, and I hate to say baggage, but at first it feels like baggage because you're, you're making mistakes. But then you realize like these are opportunities because I have been given the chance of seeing two different cultures. So I say it this mm-hmm. way. I, when you put the timing over it, if I learned to be a certain person from a different culture over 18 years, it's, it's kind of reasonable to think it takes 18 years to realize and untrain or to pick which are the best parts of it. Right. So if I just do that math of 18 plus 18, that puts me at 36. Well, here's what's interesting. When you look at what I was doing at 36, I had also created challenges like a divorce. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I got thrown having cancer within that I got all these experiences in my early thirties, let's say by my early thirties that I had to take some years to figure them out. And that's the nicest way to say it. Like, yes, like did, was I, did I go through depression? Maybe I don't even know. Like I just had to rebuild. That's the way I look at it. It's like, I just had to rebuild. And I started rebuilding in my late thirties and the timing just kind of makes sense. Like I just, finally was given enough time to mature enough situations to force me to mature 
enough challenges to question me as a person to me to really have to go deep and like, what are really my values? Not at a surface level. I had a truly difficult level. Like, you know, if you get your family, let's say family kids taken away from you, you get your health taken away from you. Like you have to search it. Like, what do I have left? Am I willing to rebuild? Am like, can I do it? Um, it's kind of cool that it actually, once you redo rebuild, it gives you the strength of confidence of like, Hey, you know, a lot of this stuff in the world that we complicate, like it's, it's a temporary situation. Like we can, yeah. we can rebuild things better. And that's where I say, like, I started hitting that in my like late thirties. And then that's about the time where like, Hey, I started an architecture office. I started to get into weightlifting in my early, like, actually, I think was I 39 or 40. Like when I first like picked up a barbell somewhere around there. Right. Like, yeah. I started making decisions of this is what I want to do. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I like. So my timetable, I say it's kind of, when I look back, it's kind of that simple. Um, you know, let's round it out. 20 years of being a kid, 20 years of figuring out how to be a young adult. Now I get to go into my next 20 years of, hey, I think I kind of have a slight idea of which direction I want to head to as an adult, mm-hmm. you know? Wow. Um, so I say it's that simple and, and, and that gets into that. Like, I'm lucky to say I've been given the opportunity to go through this process as a human being, to apply it to architecture, to apply it to weightlifting, to kind of, you know, my thoughts on architecture is I just want to leave, this is going to sound kind of generic. I want to leave the, the world a better place. I want to design cool things that people enjoy. I'm, I'm yeah. not an architect that walks into a place and go, oh, cool. Look, look at all the cool things I designed. I actually look at all the people that are enjoying the things that I designed, that are having great meals, that are creating a memory of like anything from a first date to an anniversary to hanging out with friends, playing games. Like I get to make spaces where these cool memories happen. Like that's yeah. the legacy I want to leave as an architect is a better city better memories. Like I just create the environments and the physical space for those things to happen for people. Right. Yeah. I kind of look at weightlifting the same way as like, and this is the Glenn thing and the John thing of like, I just want to see how far I can take it. Yeah. Like that's it. Like how far can I, how much is the most weight can I do? And, and I, I'll be honest, I've told John this, like I'm because of work, COVID, those struggles that I've had the last couple of years, I have not optimized my training. There's no question. I'll yeah. be straight up honest about it. Yeah. I have maintained. I have like, I don't want to step backwards, but like same thing with weight. Yes. I do. I need to go on a weight cut. There are things I know I need to focus on. I know the dedication that those things need in the time. I don't want mm-hmm. to half-ass any of those. So yeah. they will come what at a time. And I think that's the understanding John and I have is like, Hey, I will show up at a competition. I will weigh in it right now. Kind of where I weigh in. Yes, I'd love to weigh in less, but I'm going to weigh in. I'm going to lift some weights and then I'm going to focus on the team. I'm going to contribute with everything I've got in every way that I can. And not all of that, like, have I personally optimized, but that does not take away from what I want to still give to other people. Um, Yeah. If I'm not giving in weightlifting, you know, and I kind of ghost on Facebook on the team, you guys probably are trusting that I'm literally giving to my community here both. Yeah 
in architecture, my clients, my family, and you're doing this too. Like, you know, multiple people on our team, like we have to balance family. We definitely give to family. So if we're not just training, we're giving passionately to a lot of other things. Um, Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think my life story and my survival is just simply, it's, it's, you know, super simple. Like you do have to go deep and find out what it is that you're passionate for and then just go all in, move that mountain, you know, and don't worry about moving 10 mountains, like one at a time, one at a time, just one at a time. That, that is really a hard thing to learn. Like I overcommitted, I still kind of overcommit. Like I go to bed sometimes going, God, I didn't do all this stuff. Like, nah, like here's what I did do to set up the good tomorrow. Right. That, Mm -hmm. that gets you to tomorrow. It's, it's, um, there's a book. Oh my gosh. I have it somewhere on my desk. I'd show it to you. Um, there's, um, it's a, it's a ad guy, like a graphic designer who basically said, Hey, I, I don't believe in people for what they are now. I believe in people for what they envision themselves to be later. Okay. And so I agree wow. with that. Like the real power of someone is not because we all get different circumstances. We all have a different mm-hmm. start point. So we like, we should never judge it. Like, Oh, did you go to this school or that school? Like there's a lot of things that that person may not have had opportunities. So it's not Absolutely. per se where you are, where are you going? Mm-hmm. That's going to show somebody's like true character. What are you trying to achieve? What are you going like? And are you motivated to get there? That, yeah. that those are the people I want to surround myself by, you know? Wow. That's so yeah. cool. So, so anyway, so there it is. Amen. There's my life story. Uh, I'm going to try to stick to it. Like, no, we, we can check in and see if it's working. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> dude, it's, it was great. Actually, I, our first conversation, even though like the audio ended up being crap because mm-hmm. of technical difficulties and whatnot, but this, this, this turned out really, really well. I'm, I'm honored that you came on my show and it's, you know, it's an honor to be on the same team with you and get to experience your passion and um your memories with glenn and and just how how you how you put that out into the world and um how you share your your view and your your life with everybody else and and people are lucky enough to go into a restaurant go into a space where you've put your heart and soul into and 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 experience it so oh yeah no i love you guys thank i mean i'm honored back to be a part of you guys like it's like i say like my life i've had some challenges but man i've had some really good lucky situations where i've met great people hung out with great people been on and am on good teams like i like luck yes luck i've been very very lucky and trust me i'm gonna put it out there one of my goals is to have ultimately a space here in Durham where Attitude Nation comes, throws down, and you guys, we can have a camp here, like in a physical space, because I think the Raleigh Durham area, I'm going to throw it out there. Raleigh Durham needs a dedicated Olympic lifting area because uh, there are some great lifters, team and not on team, in this area. Like, we have a community here that really could use it. And then, you know what? We get to old school, go out and eat at some of these great places. So like you guys are, you guys are going to fuel up and move kilos. And like, that would be an ultimate, it's probably years away, but man, I like, that is where one of the things I'm headed towards. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk off air here in a minute about that because I have, 
Matt and I and what we're doing over here with the Kilo Chasers camp um, coming up in three weeks. God, it's freaking two and a half weeks. It's right around the corner. Anyhow, yeah. what we're doing is basically that. We're setting up a space. And, yeah. you know, I don't – I want that just just like everything else. Like, it's a movement, and I, I don't mm-hmm. want it to be just us. Like, I want everybody to right. be able to take advantage of this and, and take notes and, and – if I could write a book on how we did it and that's kind of what the podcast, like we're, we're yeah. talking about what we're doing. So other people that are listening, they can take it and run with it. Like I, if, if you guys over there want to do it, if, if, yeah. you know, Rod and Llama down in, in at freedom want to do it and say, yeah. Hey, yeah, let's, let's rent a badass house and everybody kick down a, a decent sum of money and have an all inclusive, mm-hmm. you know, week long weekend or a full week weightlifting camp. Yeah, you know, yeah. like no, that, that kind of shit needs to happen. It does. It does. I'm bummed I'm not heading up to your way, but I actually had to look at the schedule between work and John asking me to be at more competitions than just the ones I'm lifting at, you know? And it's yeah, like, yeah. I looked at my schedule. I'm like, oh, whoa, this is this is a lot. A lot. And, then the fact, and then the fact that they put finals and Masters Worlds on top of each other. So Man, I can't believe it. Like, I, I'm not surprised, but... I mean, we're, I mean, schedule wise, like if, you know, like we've got a lot of masters, but like if the first couple of days of masters are like, this is going to sound funny enough, old people, really, really masters, the masters of masters, if there's enough of them that our team starts a couple of days into the competition, we might be able to roll from one because luckily one's in Atlanta and one's in um, Orlando. So we could roll from one to the other. But yeah, we're like literally like we're just hoping like the time works out that like our athletes get done at at, uh, AO finals and man, we could roll and make it to our first athlete down in Orlando. (laughs) If not, we're going to have to split for a second. We're going to see, we're going to figure this out. But yeah, when I looked at it, I was like, man, that's a lot of like this, this coaching thing is, is a, that's a lot of time. You know, I got to, once again, going back to time, I got to put that into my time now, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks Matt. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk off air. So thanks for coming on. And Do you have anything to anything to plug? Any anything coming up on your your end of thing? Any any restaurants you just finished to uh, tell people they need to go and check out? And yeah, I'll say this: like we've got a couple of really good restaurants. Uh, there's and I'll I'll throw it out there: like there's the food cut food truck culture. There's a lot of cities with food trucks. Durham is known as a food truck culture. We've got an homage to food trucks coming up. Hopefully. Uh, I'm going to say within the next year, definitely. But like, it's a much needed homage. That's going to be like right now. Like I've got definitely an artistic one. I'm keep, I have to keep quiet on this very high art project. Um, I'm really excited about that one too, but for the community. Yeah. There's, there's, there's going to be some food truck action happening around here. Let's say. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well guys listening, keep an eye out Durham, North Carolina and uh, check out the food and drinks over there. We'll talk to you later. Yep. See y'all.